HVAC 360, episode number 22. My interview with Kenny Sakonikas. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of HVAC 360. I am your host, Matt Nelson. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of talking with uh, Kenny Sakonikas, uh, who actually works for uh, KT Consultants. Um, Kenny has a, a long history in the HVAC field, uh, both from the contractor's perspective and uh, in, the, in, in the consulting arena. So, you know, I just want to uh, touch base with him, talk to him a little bit, and hopefully you can learn, um, you know, a little bit about uh, Kenny and... Uh, um, Hope you enjoy the interview. All right, let's go to the tape. So today uh, we're going to be talking with uh, Kenny Sakanakis. Uh, how you doing, Kenny? I'm doing fine, thank you. Now, Kenny, tell us a little bit about your background, what you've done in the industry. Well, I uh, started uh, actually before high school, actually working uh the weekends and in the summer with a uh, small plumbing contractor uh, that lived in the neighborhood. I uh, used to go with him uh, during the summer and then and on the weekends to just do general uh, maintenance that, it, that he did uh, around the neighborhood uh, and in, the, in Silver Spring, Maryland, actually. And um, it was at, during high school, I, I continued to do that. Uh, when I got out of high school, I went into the um, union pipe fitting uh, union in uh, in Washington D.C. and uh, spent my apprenticeship uh, as a pipe fitter and went into the plumbing field as well. Uh, eventually, uh, coming out of that and actually becoming a master plumber at age 23, um, I picked up my gas fitter's license, my HVAC license, etc. Worked in the field for about eight years uh, and worked my way into uh, into the office uh, at the same time going back to school at night to um, get a degree in business. Uh, so from the period of about 1974 to 1984, uh, I spent uh, crafting uh, my field as, as a mechanical um, specialist, so to speak, mechanical plumbing, heating, air conditioning. Now, um, now is this, I mean, as far as, you know, getting into you know, uh, you know, working for a plumber. I mean, was that was that more or less just a you know a way to get money, or is that something that you were kind of inclined uh, to do? Um, you know, early on. I believe it's early on because uh, it was interesting. I got interested. I was very. I had a good mechanical aptitude to begin with. I I was always working on on engines and motorcycles, and so the. The mechanical aptitude was there, and, and it was just something that uh, it just was a natural fit for me uh, working in the beginning there as a tradesman. Um, I realized early on on those, uh, those cold mornings in, in January and February working on high-rise buildings downtown with the wind blowing at 25 miles an hour that maybe I should educate myself a little better and find a way to be one of those guys in the office. So that, I kind of worked my way um, you know, during my tradesman time, 
uh, better myself so that I could become a little bit more successful and work my way into uh, more of a supervisory role. And that was my goal early on, and then I realized, um, you know, during that process that, gee, you know, I, I, I can see how it's done. Why don't I just do this for myself? So that that being said, working for about four different large general mechanical contracting firms, uh, eventually in 1989, I uh, decided to go into business for myself. Now, what kind of transition? I mean, that had to be something that was that was pretty scary. I just, you know, I, I like to, uh, you know, analyze a little bit about that. What what sort of, you know, what was that transition like? I mean, what were you thinking at that time that, you know, I guess just general feelings and how how did it go with you? I mean, did you have any sort of uh, uh, you know, uh, fallback plan, or did you have some, um, you know, because I mean, obviously, going, you know, as a consultant, you know, there's a lot of, you know, you basically, okay, if you have a computer and a brain, I think you're set, but there's not too much equipment. But go, going in as a contractor, I got to imagine that, that there's quite that, uh, you know, leap of faith where you're uh, uh, really kind of spreading yourself thin. Yeah, there was there, there's a fear factor for anybody, especially young. I had I had young children at the time as well. Um, my wife uh, had a full time job that, that paid uh, just enough money to probably you know cover our bills and whatever little savings I had accumulated. Um, I went out and bought a, a van, and you know I developed a lot of relationships uh, from the project management level and uh, senior estimator level for some of the corporations I worked for. So the move to go to do the work wasn't as difficult as, as the fear factor of, you know, that, that steady paycheck is gone. Now I've got to basically start from scratch. The other part of it that I think that, that a lot of uh, tradesmen don't realize is the education part of it is so critical to, uh, and, you know, yes, you have, you have to be a risk taker, I believe, and you have to believe in yourself, and, and a lot of those things are all, I think those are things that you acquire through education and, and being around the right people. But the other part of it is is, is that the, the scary part, can you can get you can overcome that with, with, with the right type of education. And I think, and, you know, you got to be a risk taker. And uh, it was a scary transition. The other part of it I think that a lot of people don't realize is that the work that I was doing, uh, as a general mechanical contractor, a senior project manager and estimator, was was large work. You know, work that was you know two, three, four, five, ten million dollar jobs. When you go into business for yourself from scratch, you're not going to be doing those two to ten million dollar projects anymore. <laughs> you have to start small. So we, so that that transition was difficult. I was used to doing big work. And, uh, you know, you, you can't finance big work right out of the block without any money. So I had to start by doing smaller projects and working my way up over a period of 20 years to get to a point to where it was, you know, the jobs that I was used to doing. Now, did, so you, took, now did you manage to stay uh, in commercial work or did you have to, I mean, did you have to go into, you know, start, you know, residential or what, what were some of the first jobs that you, that you remember? I never, I never got into. I did do a, a couple of large homes, but they were more of a commercial project uh, than they were, uh, you know, when they have you know forty and fifty tons of conditioning. I would consider that to be more of a commercial project. But my, my first couple of jobs, believe it or not, were like a Kmart store or a Walmart. Um, 
and, I, and the only reason why I got those jobs is because the people that were building them were very comfortable with me and helped me finance my way through it by making sure they paid me on time. And, and uh, it was just relationships that I had built up uh, when I had worked for other companies um, with people that uh, knew me and trusted me. And uh, they kind of helped me along, and, and it got me going in the right direction. And, um, you know, became pretty successful over the years. Now, how did you, I guess, how did you, how do you staff something like that when you're that small? Do you, you, just, do, you do it yourself, or you, I mean, you... In the, in the beginning, it was by myself, uh, and then uh, I went out and I, and I hired a, an apprentice to, to work with me. Um, and it was interesting. I was working during the day, uh, sitting in the office at home at night until 10 or 11 o'clock, uh, estimating work. Um, and then eventually hiring staff. You know, I was able to secure enough work to where I could actually hire a, another mechanic and, and, and buy another truck. And uh, it was all self-financed. The banks weren't lending any money um, to new upstart companies unless you had a lot of asset, and we didn't. So, you know, it was a situation. It took a few years to get – took about three years to really get going. Um, but, we, you know, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of hours. A lot of hard work. Excellent. So, so what are some of the uh, the memorable projects that you remember um, in your for, from your contracting days? What were some of your favorites? Uh, good, good question. I, I, I had done a big repair automotive repair facility in Arlington, Virginia, years ago. That was uh, just a just a great job. I did a few high rise buildings down in DC uh, that were just fabulous projects for for the company. I did a a Marriott downtown in Washington that uh, that I actually ended up going down, you know, 10 years into into the business and actually running the, the last half of the project myself. Did a couple of big uh, uh, elementary schools, a couple of big uh, high schools uh, over the years that, that turned out to be just fabulous projects, uh, you know, from a profit level standpoint and, and rewarding wise, different types of systems. I did some ice bank systems and and um, some solar-assisted uh, heat recovery uh, equipment and system. A, a bunch of really unique systems. As the, as the new technology was coming out, of course, the the counties and the municipal work were, were all about saving money, so they they didn't have any problem going to the innovative uh, designs. So there was a lot of interesting uh, work we had done over the years, and a lot very, very much rewarding because uh, I got a chance to dip my hands in all different types of systems. Uh, from a from a contracting standpoint, so it was that part of it was rewarded. Yeah. So I, I guess what what are some of the things that um, you know from from a contracting standpoint that um, I guess were really valuable? What what sort of lessons did you did you uh, you know learn along the way from contracting? Well, three three items. One is technology. Um, I went out very early on uh, back in 1993. After going to be in business for a little, a little more than three years, I uh, had decided that uh, that I needed to, to automate, and I went to uh, to Denver and uh, trained uh, a young lady that had been working from me from with me from the beginning when I first opened an office outside of my own home, and bought the uh, Quick Pen International estimating system, and uh, spent time out there uh, going through the training. And then coming back and implementing, um, which was nice, you could actually go into the software and, and input 
what you believe the labor should be for certain items, et cetera, et cetera. And actually kind of form, kind of bent the system a little bit to do it as I viewed the estimating and, and how I think it should be put together. It's a very flexible system. I think that was a big key. And then the people that I hired, I, I, I looked for guys that uh, were the best at what they did. And um, I was very successful early, especially early on, with many of the guys that I hired. And then my brother, uh, my older brother Pete, uh, had come into the business with me after the second year as well, which he was a great field um, coordinator. I think it was just a combination of picking all the right guys and, and using the right technology. That helped a lot. Now, I guess what what did, you know, as far as retaining, you know, it's like it's one thing to go and find, you know, valuable employees, and it's another to be able to retain them. Was there anything special that you did to, to be able to retain um, your, your top talent? Well, of course, uh, you know, you paid them bonuses based on their performance. Um, if guys performed at a high level, uh, in addition to their salary, you, you gave them uh, the perks, you know, whether it would be a bonus or a vacation or an extra few weeks vacation, whatever it may be, um, eventually, uh, you know, implementing, uh, you know, 401k plans, you know, everything that, a, that, that somebody looking for a job would want in a company, health insurance, et cetera, uh, we tried to uh, expand over the years and, and give people that so that we were an attractive place to work. So now you, you've, you're in the business for 30 years. Um, and you say, you know what? Uh, I've had enough of it. I'm going to become a consultant. What what was what was that thought process like? I think over the years, uh, and we were in a niche. We we were doing industrial and municipal work, quite a bit of it. Um, a lot of plan and spec, uh, and and quite a bit. Probably the majority of our work was plan and spec. I'd say seventy seventy five percent. We only had about 25% of our work was negotiated. In the Washington, D.C. area, it's, we, did, we used to call the area recession-proof. Uh, and to an extent, that was true. I'd gone through a couple of, of slowdown periods in, the, in the early 1991 uh, and also um, in, in the late 80s and, in, excuse me, into the uh, early 2000s it's the same way. I think after... You know, spending the majority of my life for, for 33 years between tradesman and contractor, um, the stress and pressures of uh, of working these big projects and, and bonding them, I think over years, it, it, it took its uh, physical toll. Uh, in order for someone to to have a business like this, you besides having the right people, you have to spend a tremendous amount of time working it. And uh, it's not that I lost my taste for, for the construction part, portion of it. I lost my taste for uh, the aggravating parts. And I think that's something that uh, after a few years of, of dealing with it, it's not that big a deal, but when you're dealing with it for, you know, for 10 or 15 years, eventually you're, I'm looking to move on to the next plateau. And, and I think that's uh, one of the reasons why I decided that maybe my time might be better spent to downsize, do this, do this for myself, uh, at a uh, at an owner's level, and, and bring the experience that I've learned over the years in the contracting side to the owner's side. I just thought it was a good move, and quite frankly, I can sleep well at night now. I think the things that we were talking about, it was a natural fit for me to move on. It was the same as starting out as a tradesman 
working your way into a management position, going in business for myself, working that for, you know, 22 years uh, in business for myself. I, I think it was a natural succession to move on. Um, it was just the right thing um, for me individually. It may not be for others, but for me, I thought it was the right, the right move. And, and so far, I haven't been wrong yet. So I, I look at it as... Uh, uh, this is it's a good move for me. You have, you have uh, good ins- good instincts. Yep. So I guess what kind of consulting uh, are you involved with? How would you describe it? Um, there's a I had put together, um, and there's other people that are doing the same thing that I am. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not like I created a new niche. Um, I like to use the, the term ORM, which is known as ORM, which is Owners Representation Management. Um, from a consulting, uh, let's say from a developer's side or an owner's side, provide them with, um, you know, job management, um, whether it be uh, uh, helping them with contracts, negotiations, putting together design teams, um, you know, putting together the right design teams with the right engineers uh, based on the type of project and then uh, helping them through the, the critical phases of getting started and then uh, managing the project and helping them close it out, et cetera, including, you know, quality control and CX if necessary. Um, so we, um, the way I look at it, owner's representation is probably our strongest suit, my strongest suit, um, and then probably about a third of what we do um, is, uh, you know, CX and validation of systems. Uh, from a mechanical uh, and electrical standpoint, um, that's probably the other third. I'd say it's about a 66-33 deal um, as far as how uh, what I try to do. And, um, you know, that could also help insurance companies. I could help insurance companies with uh, claims. I can help contractors with claims. Uh, we have some experts that work here with me and the team that I put together. Um, it's pretty, some pretty strong... Uh, individual players that uh, that are uh, trade specific. Some are just nothing but trades, uh, w- w- uh, delay claim specialists. Some are uh, scheduling specialists. Some are uh, electrical specialists. Um, I have the mechanical and general construction, and I have guys that are concrete specialists. In other words, the team of guys that I put together with my company um, are all independent, but they all work under the same umbrella and work for themselves as well. But I bring them. I bring them with me on projects where their their specific trade is a, a plus uh, that that helps the situation or, or whatever the, whatever the owner may need. Mm-hmm. Now, now, is, do you separate out quality control as a as a separate service, or is it pretty much just a you know either commissioning or you're going to be an owner's rep? Well, there's a um, quality control is, is different than. And uh, commissioning quality control is more about uh, defect discovery and reporting, uh, more in the uh, the level of, of job management and competence. Where CX is um, is different. CX is more about validation of systems, and uh, you know, and then compliance of design. You know, testing for and, and more more moreover performance testing, and then report the accuracy of the performance testing. I mean that. That's what, to me, commissioning is, where quality control is, is more about uh, defect discovery and then, you know, and then reporting of it. 
and, and then getting it uh, resolved. Mm-hmm. And it, it's actually slightly different. I think that the two of them are, are different animals. Um, although they they do have parallel paths in some some situations, but they are definitely two separate um, um, functions, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as as far as an owner's rep goes, what I mean, what are some of those? Um, you know, and I, I I gotta ask this. Typically, when I see owners reps, it's some version of a, of a CM. Um, you know, rarely do I you know construction management or some sort of general contractor um, that gets into this. I mean, I, I guess rarely do I see somebody who's like, you know, what I'm an owners rep. That's what I do. I don't do any of the project management. I mean, how how does one you know I guess you know come upon doing just that. Well, you're right. There is a difference. A construction manager normally is handed a project after it's designed. It's basically, here's your plans, here's your specs. Um, have at it. A construction manager, is, in, in many ways, is just a, um, a step up from being a general contractor. It's just the, the, the actual supervision of it. In reality, construction manager uh, most likely will be using the same subcontractors if you're doing like a CM job that the general contractor would be using in the same neighborhoods, in the same in, in the same areas. Um, so it's an extended arm. It's it's maybe a half a step up from being a general contractor, a CM is, where a owner's representation. Uh, is in at the ground floor before the design, before the design team is picked, uh, before the uh, working with the finances and, and uh, working with the acquisition of a property and putting together uh, the master schedule of, of how um, the process is going to go. And then I'm not saying we, that owner's representation doesn't in, include project management. It does. If that's the level that the owner was, I've actually done work with the owner uh, just at the design phase and con- and the actual contract phase, and then he's had his own people take it from there on a project management level. So, in other words, it, uh, an owner's rep can actually come in in many different areas. I've actually done owner's representation to a point where uh, I've just been contracted to. Um, to look at change orders, for instance, where they, they send change orders, almost like change order review. Uh, but that's that's another form of, of not actually managing the project, but managing a piece of the project or or, or a portion of it. So there's, I think owner's reps are, are more ground-level, uh, infancy stage in the planning and, put, and putting together the actual project uh, from the owner's perspective than it is in, in actual construction management. What is, you know, what is the difference between a good owner's rep and, uh, you know, somebody who isn't, isn't so good? I think it's knowledge, understanding the process. And the other, and the other part of it is I think a lot of times um, you, you have to specialize to an extent. And then if you, for, for an owner's rep, depending on the project, uh, you know, I wouldn't be the guy that, that – uh, could come in and, and do a nuclear power plant, um, although I have worked on them before, but that 
that was from a tradesman standpoint. Um, you have to really specialize. Uh, I think you, you specialize in fields that, that uh, or, or particular types of projects uh, that you're most familiar with. And, and I think that the, the team that you put around that has to have that same uh, type of ability um, to work on, uh, to be more job specific. I think that's the key to it. Um, and because really in, in reality, all owner's representation is a process. It's, it's, it's setting the model. It's actually designing the model and, and then um, and then implementing the model. It's really just it's a management it's a management process. It really it comes down to that. I think choosing the bad uh, what's the difference between a good one and a bad one? I think the bad ones don't get much work and the good ones do. <laughs> uh, you know, it's all about it's all about how it's set up in the beginning, um, and then and then how it's implemented. And I think a bad owner's rep, it's hard for me to, to uh, describe a bad, a bad ones are the ones that don't get much work down the road. They, they do one or two projects and, and then and their reputation gets tarnished and it's over. Yeah. I, uh, yeah and, uh, you know, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, most of these, uh, you know, I, I, could, I could imagine that there's not really a, a certification, so to speak, to kind of, you know, help owners you know, determine whether or not it's it's a good or a bad. It's it's more or less uh, just you know uh, experience and references that that you'd go in with. Yeah, and that that's that's exactly that's exactly right. I I, I think uh, look, there's a lot of, of uh, uh, you know consulting companies out there. Um, a lot of them uh, are uh, an arm of an architectural firm uh, or or even an engineering firm that offer. Um, you know, project management, construction management, owner's representation um, as a specialty or as, or in addition to what they already do, which is architecture. I'm not saying that architects don't make good uh, project managers, but good project managers don't make good architects. So I, I kind of go in reverse. I, I actually go the opposite. <laughs> um, I, I, well, am I saying that contractors former contractors make the best owner's reps all depends on the individual. It, it really has a lot to do with that and, and your experiences. And uh, I think from a contracting standpoint, how do I help an owner better so than maybe an architect? Um, contractors are managers. Architects are designers. I think that's the best way to I'm not saying that there isn't some designers that haven't been contractors either, but I'm, what I'm trying to say is just that there are individual fields. I think the contractor has the actual hands-on management experience where an architect spends his primary function is, is in design. So I think there's, there, is a, uh, there is a difference between the two. Yeah. yeah, I'm actually a firm believer in that there should be some sort of job exchange program between, you know, people in the field and, and people that, that, you know, are, are designers, engineers, architects um, that would really kind of, you know, help develop a, a better a better type of, you know, construction industry. I, I don't disagree at all. I think there should be. I think there should be a, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. On some of the lead uh, requirements, uh, uh, when I went to uh, NABB to try to get my uh, lead certification for uh, uh, commissioning, um, 
even though I'm a master HVAC refrigeration, master plumber, gas fitter, uh, you know, journeyman electrician, I have all these different licenses. It didn't qualify me to even take their test uh, in which to get uh, that certificate because I had not worked as a TAB contractor or, or as a TAB technician for the, for, for the 7,000 hours. I forget what the requirements were. Mm-hmm. But there were requirements there that, that I couldn't meet unless I decided to go to work as a TAB guy. Uh, or worked under one for a couple of years. It just, there was, there was, it's almost like the CX was in some certification from the LEED standpoint that even the federal government accepts, uh, requires, uh, a certain type of, uh, background, um, preferably from the uh, testing, adjusting, and balancing industry, which to me is almost like an extended arm of a TAV, where it makes what makes them more, more qualified than me. Right. If you know what I'm saying, and I, I think I think it's a bunch of. Uh, uh, well, let's just say I don't agree with it. <laughs> okay. Now, I guess uh, from 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 an owner's rep standpoint, uh, do you have any examples of of, of things that you've identified um, early on that that could have potentially been, you know, huge huge uh, problems? From an owner's rep standpoint, sure. Uh, an owner's representative on the owner's behalf, the most important part of our job is to manage the owner's expectations. The other part of it is just trying to get the owner to give you a level of autonomy that allows you to make the important decisions for them. A lot of times you have uh, owners that are, they want to be involved, but they want to be involved, you know, for a lot of the wrong reasons. Um, I think the potential problems you have are when owners have a pre preconceived or predetermined path of who the design team may be, who they want to do their design. Um, that may not be the right fit. And, tr- and, and the potential problems come when you have to be headed off is when you can convince an owner, this is a great architect for this type of building or this type of project, but this is a better architect and a better mechanical engineer. So um, there is, um, but that's where the, I've, I've had potential problems where it's basically been arguments, not arguments, disagreements, uh, emphatic disagreements over um, who the design team should should include, which which particular firms. Mm-hmm. Or, so, um and I've been able to head off a few of those. Uh, and, and the same thing with contractor selection. Same exact thing. They're looking for dollars and cents, which is my job is to help them find the right dollars and cents to build. In other words, don't pay too much. But at the same time, don't put an unqualified contractor on a job that requires uh, a different sort of contractor, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So now, how does your experience as an owner's rep, uh, you know, help you in commissioning? How does it help me in commissioning? Yeah. Or does it at all? Or well, not really. Not really. I mean, I, I convince the majority of uh, of the owners that I have worked for that they should have a commissioning process. A lot of them think it's well, you know, the contractor does it. Well, 
the problem with that, depending on if it's a very simple system, it doesn't have a lot of bells and whistles. I tend to agree with them. We're going to do as an owner's rep. If I'm doing the PM part of it, anyway, the quality control is involved. Uh, we're involved with that anyway. However, I, I convince uh, the job. I convince the owners that the jobs that require a lot more uh, that are that are a lot more um, involved that they should have a commissioning process. It should be it should be part of the contract. I, I believe it's a, a requirement. It should be a third party. I've always believed in third party. I don't believe in letting the general contractor do it themselves. Uh, other hand picked. I think the owner should pick uh, the actual CX company. Now, do we, on a lot of your projects, does it does it turn out that you know you start out as the uh, the owner's rep and then they just work you in as the uh, uh, commissioning agent, or is that uh, do you do you do is all your commissioning work separate from your uh, uh, owner's representation? I've actually done it both ways. I've, I've actually included that as part of our work, and I've actually. Um, given the owner the option to um, go outside and, and hire a, a, an actual uh, third party, a separate company to do it. Um, I've also asked that the owners put in their specifications the, the uh, whole CX section. Uh, you know, and you're seeing that a little bit more now with municipal and, and county and, uh, and federal government jobs where you're actually seeing the, uh, the, the CX have an actual uh, whole separate division. I'm finding that the majority of the CX work is more on the mechanical, electrical, and control side and, and not as much on the actual building itself, um, but on the criti- what I call the, the critical systems, mechanical, electrical, plumbing, um, and uh, BAS automation. I, I find that to be the place where I've seen it the most anyway, or at least that's the ones that are, are going to detail. But you don't see it that much on buildings. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. There are buildings that have full CX. But uh, the majority of what I see is division, which I call 15, 16, 17. Right. Um, Now, I I guess you've done some kind of uh, mission-critical commissioning projects. Right. How how would you differentiate those from, uh, you know, your more standard projects that you've worked on? Well... The, the difference between a, a standard project and, and mission critical um, project, um, it, it really isn't so much um, about redundancy. We're, we're mission critical. It's about the guarantee uh, built not to fail, and then if one system fails, the next system takes over. Uh, a, a, minim, a minimal a minimal chance of failure. That that's the difference in the redundancy. So mission critical is about is all about guarantees. It's about uh, it's a lot more um, involved. Um, every system is checked, checked again, double checked, and checked from from so many different angles uh, and, and processes um, to ensure that the the multiple systems are um, um, in place and that they design. That the design is is uh, is uh, um, not to fail, and then you test that. I mean, I think there's a it's a lot more involved. Now, um, now, what is the uh, the most uh, complicated uh, mission critical system that you've you've commissioned? Uh, 
I've done some systems where they've had multiple uh, redundancies. Um, you know, you, you have 500 tons of conditioning for a, a uh, 60,000 square foot space and three actual, or two actual redundancies where you have one chiller and 500 tons and two pumps to three chillers, 1,500 tons, six pumps, uh, and then have a uh, 100% free air cooling and an evaporative, uh, indirect evaporative system as another backup, uh, additional generators, um, automatic changeover transformers, all, all kinds of interesting um, combinations of systems where, where I've had not just chilled water systems, but evaporative cooling and, and even DX backup as well uh, in, one, in one building. Um, no, no, to make sure it doesn't go down, they have their, their backups were, you know, <laughs> what is it, M2 plus 1? Yeah. That's it. Just very, very, uh, uh, very involved and, and, and a, uh, a BAS system that monitors every little process, right down to amps, right down to actual uh, barrel um, uh, pressure in the, in the in the chiller barrels, uh, you know, down to the uh, the actual temperature of the oil in, in, in inside the chiller barrels. Mm-hmm. Very very uh, extensive uh, testing procedure and and monitoring systems. Hmm. Uh, watch every little thing with with multiple alarms. Um, interesting stuff. So have you ever had a, a catastrophic failure of any piece of equipment that you've uh, been testing? Uh, none, none today. I've read quite a bit on uh, mission-critical uh, uh, data news that, that comes out uh, daily um, about lightning strikes and then uh, losing uh, you know, utility power and then the backup system didn't come on and, and they don't know why. And you know, Those are the things that, that during our, our, uh, the CX that I have done, on these mission critical projects, we, we take into account. We try to invent, uh, basically, make sometimes our own scripts on on how we want things to shut down, and and then actually to time uh, time the sequencing between one failure and, and the next system picking up, and we'll fail that system and see if the other one comes back. I mean, we we do it and we call it forward and reverse. Take it from this end to the other end and backwards. And we do it. We do it more than once um, to, to make sure that uh, it's commissioned properly. So there's a lot of. Uh, um, I've never had that on the projects that I have done. Um, at least none to date. That doesn't mean it couldn't happen. I'm just. I have not had that experience. Excellent. So now you are currently working. The we kind of beat around the bush a little bit. You you currently work for who? CT Consultants. KT Consultants. Oh, KT. Sorry. KT Consultants. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're especially, I, I think you, you'd mentioned that was the, uh, the uh, uh, owner's, owner's, rep- owner's representation and management. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Now, if people wanted to get a hold of you, what, what's the best way to do that? Well, they can get, get me through my website, which is uh, ktconsultantonline.com, or they can contact me directly by telephone uh, here in Florida. Nine five four seven seven five four five nine five. Okay, and if you didn't catch that, I will post that on the show notes at uh, buildingx.co. 
So uh, I you know, really appreciate you taking the time here, Kenny, um, to, uh, to talk with us and kind of give us a, 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 great, uh, a great little uh, background and story about uh, who you are and what you've been through. So I appreciate you uh, taking the time today. Uh, thank you so much for uh, involving me. I, I appreciate that very much. All right, and we're back. Uh, again, I really appreciate Kenny Sakonikas uh, taking the time uh, to sit down and talk with us. Uh, it was really a pleasure uh, to get to, to get know Kenny a little bit more. Again, you know, I love just calling around and talking with you know some of the uh, some of the veterans of the industry uh, to really get you know their history, their background. There's so much that we can learn and and and, and you know take away from what they've done already. So I hope you enjoy that, and I hope you got something out of it. Uh, if you did, you know, please go ahead and forward this on to uh, um, other people that you know. Um, a lot of times, I think you know the, the people that are listening to the show, uh, you especially, uh, are very you know you're you're the top three percent. I've said that before. You're the top three percent of the HVAC industry. You're the people who are actually going out, learning a little bit more, uh, and you know, on your own to, uh, to, to, to further yourself and, uh, you know, worldwide. And I think that, uh, there's so many of our, uh, uh, I guess so many of our peers that don't necessarily do that, that, that don't even, they aren't even aware, uh, that shows like the HVAC 360, um, uh, podcast is out there, uh, that, you know, just, Make it your mission today to share it with at least one other person, uh, and I greatly appreciate that. If you have, uh, as usual, if you have any show suggestions or you have any comments or feedback, uh, you can reach me at matt at buildingx.co, uh, or you can uh, just uh, uh, join me, uh, send me a, a friend me at uh, uh, LinkedIn, um, or uh, you know follow me on Twitter at, uh, at buildingcx. So I guess uh, that's pretty much it. Thanks for listening, and remember, always know what you build and share what you know.